And just imagine as we just sang about all the angels responding together in chorus and responding and declaring and rejoicing in the birth of the Redeemer as Nick just prayed about in the newborn King. Hey folks, let's remember Christmas is not just about remembering, but as I'm really trying to work this Christmas for us to remember, Christmas is really about responding and not just reflecting. And, and the reality is, is that those who really get Christmas, they cannot help but to respond. And they cannot help, as we've talked about two weeks ago, to respond with big, bold, bodacious gratitude. Because he has done that for me. I mean, he has made that available to me. Amazing. And people who come out with, with a gratitude like that respond after that and realizing that Christ has called us to something. Uh, Christ has given us a big, bold, bodacious vision as we talked about last Sunday. Go, make disciples of all nations by loving people with the word of God and our very lives, as we talked about last week. Folks, this is a great time of the year. But it doesn't stop there, because the reality is, is that people who have a big, bold, bodacious gratitude uh, flow into this reality, and they're kind of mixed together, have a big, bold, bodacious vision. And people who have those two things also are the kind of people that have big, bold, bodacious giving in their view of their life and who they are and what they're about. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Big, bold, bodacious giving. Hey, I want for you to know I'm not approaching this today as a banker. I'm approaching this today as here in a little bit. We're going to know Matthew 6. And I think Christ approaches this more as a surgeon than as a banker. This issue that we're talking about today is about the heart and not so much about the wallet. Both are together but it's about the heart. Let me state it this way. People with teeny tiny toddler gratitude are the kind of people that have teeny tiny toddler vision. And people that have teeny tiny toddler vision, the reality is, is have teeny tiny toddler giving in their life of who they're about. But people with big, bold, bodacious gratitude have big, bold, bodacious vision. And people who are Christ followers have big, bold, bodacious vision, have big, bold, bodacious giving of themselves. Grab your Bibles and turn to the contents page. Our text for today. No, go to the contents page. And the reason for that is because we're going to go to a passage that, uh, or a, actually a book of the Bible we haven't been to uh, since uh, in our first year and three quarters. And we have a lot of people here that are new to the Bible, and, and I love that reality. And oftentimes we throw around, go to various places, and people are like, you know, they do the fan look, like I know right where we're going, sort of. <laughs> We're going to the contents page, and I want for you to look in the Old Testament. And the first third of the Old Testament, there's a book called First Chronicles. First Chronicles. And tell me out loud, what page number is it on? Okay, go there. Go there. And then once you get there, hang a right over to chapter 28. 
we are going to do this. I'm going to take about 10 minutes here, and this is really kind of the introduction, if you will. And I want for us to read two passages about two, peop- two groups of people that are the kind of people that are like this. And we're going to see this because what I want to do is I want to see a couple groups of people that are livers of this, and then I want to go and hear Christ teach us some things about this idea of giving and the treasures of our life. Well, we're in First Chronicles 28. By the way, what page is it? Okay, and what we are at here is we're at a place in time in Israel's history. They're in the promised land. David is the king of Israel. We are just about to come to the pinnacle point of Israel's just grandeur in history. But one of the things is missing, and that is the temple. So David is going to talk to the people about building the temple. We're going to read a a number of verses out of chapter 28 and 29. Let's just enjoy this. Get the picture of these people. That's what this is about. Chapter 28, verse 1. David assembled at Jerusalem all the officials of Israel the officials of the tribes, the officers of the divisions that served the king, the commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, stewards of all the property and livestock of the king and his sons, together with the palace officials, the mighty men and all the seasoned warriors. You got the idea? The big dogs are in town, okay? And they're all gathered around with David. Then David, verse 2, rose to his feet and said, hear me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. And I made preparations for the building. But God said to me, hey, David, uh, you're not going to be the one to build the house of my name. uh, For you are a man of war and have shed much blood. Verse 4, yet the Lord God of Israel chose me from all my father's house to be the king over Israel forever. For he chose Judah as leader and in the house of Judah, my father's house. And among my father's son, he took pleasure in me to make me king over all Israel. By the way, did you see this? David just acknowledges the fact as king that God is not going to have him build the temple. And you would think, what a ripoff. I want to be the one that builds the temple. And David responds back here saying, no, 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 it's not going to be me. But you know what? Can you believe this? God put me in this position. I'm just, gratitude is flowing out of this boy. It's just cool. Let's pick up verse 4. Yet the Lord God of Israel chose me. Let's jump down to verse 5. And of all my sons, he has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, it is Solomon, your son, who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. By the way, that's cool. Verse 7. I will establish his kingdom forever if, conditional, if he continues strong in keeping my commandments and my rules as he is today. Now, therefore... In the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, observe and seek all the commandments of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance to your children after you forever. Listen, already we're seeing a gratitude being communicated and a vision being communicated. Let's jump to verse 11. Then David gave Solomon, his son, the plan, the plan of the vegetable of the temple and of its houses, its treasures, its upper rooms and its inner chambers and of the room for the mercy seat and the plan of all that he had in mind for the courts of the house. Do you get the idea? He's got a plan. He's passing the architectural drawings to his son. Jump down to verse 20, chapter 28. Then David said to Solomon, his son, Hey, son, be strong and courageous and do it. Hey, Nike did not start that term. 
and do it, son. By the way, what a cool point for a father. Uh, Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed for the Lord God. Even my God is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work of the service of the house of, of the Lord is finished. And behold, the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God. And with you in all the work will be every willing man. This isn't just about David and Solomon, but this is every willing man who has skill for any kind of service. Also the officers and all the people will be holy at your command. Chapter 29, verse 1, And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and experienced. And the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for who? Yeah, This is God's house. So I have provided for the house my God. Look at this now. Here's the giving. As a result of the gratitude, as a result of the vision, The vision call that God has placed in him, verse 2, so I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able. The gold for the things of the gold, the silver for the things of the silver, the bronze for the things of the bronze. Got the idea? Iron, the wood, all the jewels, verse 3. Moreover, in addition to all that, I have provided for the holy house. I have a treasure of my own. David is not only taking from the treasures, if you will, of the people of the kingdom. He's, he's, He's jumping in himself. I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver. I give it to the house of my God, verse 4. 3,000 talents of gold and uh, all this other stuff. Verse 5, and for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold, silver for things of of silver. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? Then the leaders of the fathers of the houses made their free will offerings. Everybody's getting on board. Why? Because grateful people with a vision get after it and get in. A free will offering, as did also the leaders of the tribes and the commanders of thousands and hundreds and the officers over the kings of the work. Verse 7, they gave for the service of the house of God. It lists all the stuff that they gave, a lot of zeros. Uh, verse 8, and whoever had precise or, or precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehoel, the Gersh. The Gershonites, and then the people rejoiced gratitude again because they had given willingly for with a whole heart. I love that. For with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. God, it's yours anyway. Now I get the opportunity of piling it in for you. David the king also rejoiced greatly. What a cool crew of people. Let's go to the other end of the Bible in 2 Corinthians, which is after what? Good, you guys are on top of it. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're just going to look at a couple verses here. Again, I'm setting a tone, an idea. What does it look like? People that are just in it, bold and big and bodacious. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Paul writing to the Corinthian church. And Paul says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches, it's plural, the churches of Macedonia. Macedonia is north of Corinth, it's this region, and there's these churches, Paul's saying, I want to tell you something that's going on up north. Verse 2, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Do you see like the total opposite statements here? 
These are people in severe affliction. By the way, not just like affliction, but severe affliction. And then right after that, they have joy. But no, no, not just joy, abundance of joy. You see, we as Americans, we don't tie severe reflection with the possibility of an abundance of joy. Oh, by the way, coming up after the turn of the year, uh, under pressure, what's up when, when life's down? We're going to be going through that series. Uh, but here are people, affliction and abundance of joy. And then it says they have extreme poverty, not just poverty, and they have overflowed with a wealth of generosity. Paul is just a master of communicating. Uh, Verse 3, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify. I love the fact he doesn't even tell how much. And they have given beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. These people are like, listen, there's these people out here. Our people are hurting, and we've got to do something about it. (laughs) What do you got, squat? Well, what do you got, squat? Well, so what are we going to do? I don't know. We're going to give them squat. We're going to get whatever squats left over of people of squat, and we're going to send it to them. Why? Because we're grateful people. We want to communicate what the Lord has done because there are peeps and because we love God, and this is what he's called us to do, and so we're in it. And these are people of poverty. And this is not as we expected, I'd say, But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Listen, those are some people that just, I hope, put a taste out there like, whoa, dudes, God is like, you're serious about it, aren't you? Is this not true? As you read that, do you not sit there and go, my goodness, those are some people of depth. As you read that, you get a sense for what's going on in the heart of these people, right? Do you? I mean, we do. We get a sense of what's going on in the heart of the people. With that in mind, let's all turn to Matthew chapter 6. Because now it's time for Jesus to do us a little bit of teaching on this whole idea. Folks, we want to be a church where as a people, together, we're that kind of a people. I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about our, our, our stuff. I'm talking about ourselves. And I'm talking also as well as about our schedules of life. We want to be people that are a culture of giving. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. We're right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, A month ago, when Karen and I were over Israel, I can just picture this. You know, they're up right around the Sea of Galilee, kind of the north side of the Sea of Galilee. They're out, the water's out there. The the mountains in the back on the east and the south and the west are kind of around there. And the people are all around, and they're listening to Christ teach. And he's teaching this sermon, just all this kind of stuff he's communicating And we jump in the middle of this sermon at verse 19 in our Bibles. Let me just read two verses. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, let's start working this passage because there's a statement that's made in both verses. And it is the statement of, lay up for yourselves treasure. Now, lay up. It's not a basketball term. It is actually, lay up is talking about this idea of, uh, think of kind of like Vegas, seriously. Because the term is, is it's like all the chips are being piled up. 
That's what the word's talking about. It's piling up. It's stacking up. It literally could be termed as hoarding up. Okay? That's the picture. This isn't just like little dinky dinky. This is about chips, pile them in, okay? That's what speaks it. Christ is saying, lay up for yourselves, and lay up for yourselves. Oh, what? Think of this for a minute. Christ is saying, lay up for who? I thought the Bible and Jesus and Christianity was like all about being paupers and tunics and like nothing, you know, monk and monkettes everywhere walking around. I thought that was what Jesus is all about. Listen, this is a really interesting statement because Jesus is saying, lay up for yourselves. And I'm not going to change it and I'm not going to try and talk it down. I'm actually going to try and tell it as he says it. Listen, folks, here's the deal. Jesus says, stack up for yourselves. And then he says, stack up for yourselves what? Treasures. Like treasures are things that have value, have worth. Like rock on, Jesus, I'm in now, (laughs) right? And it's this idea of stack up for yourselves treasures. That's exactly what Jesus has said here. Don't lose sight of that fact. But let's read, let's add on to the verse what else he's saying here. He's saying in the verse, stack. Lay up for yourselves treasures. Uh, let me, this point, let me, uh, let me, I'm getting ahead. Christ is all about my stacking up treasures. Christ is all about my stacking up treasures. This is the deal. Christ is not anti-things. Christ is not anti-things. Christ is anti-idols. Christ is not anti-things. Christ is anti-idols. And he says here in the beginning of verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures. And then in verse 20, he says, but do lay up for yourselves treasures. Okay, so there's a contrast going on as his teaching here. And so first, Christ is all about my stacking up treasures. The issue here in the context, contrast is Christ wants me stacking up the right kind of treasures. Christ wants me stacking up the right kind of treasures. Oh, by the way, for who? Ourselves, you see, you're all a little bit nervous about saying stack up for myself because are we supposed to be stacking up for Christ? Yes, we'll kind of clean that up a little bit later, but let's see. Let's stay with the text. The text says, don't stack up for yourselves treasures. And then the text does say, do stack up for yourselves treasures. Well, let's keep reading. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures where? And then in verse 20, but lay up for yourself treasures where? Okay, so there's earth treasures and there's eternal treasures or or eternity treasures going on. There's earth treasures, the stuff that's eventually destroyed. The stuff that's just eventually, it's here for a while. There's earth stuff and there's eternity stuff because eternity is for ever, okay? So there's earth stuff and eternity stuff. In other words, I can live the dot or I can live the line. What am I about? Question for today that we're going to. What are you about? Are you about living the dot or are you about living the line? That's what, it's, that's what Christ is bringing to the table here. Uh, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, but lay up for yourselves or 
Do lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth. Let's keep working this out. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where what? Moth and what? Destroy. And where who? Break in and steal. Let me talk about these words for a minute. Moth. Why does Jesus bring up a moth? I mean, big hairy deal. Well, it was a big hairy deal back then. And the reason is, is because in that day, one of the ways that people would communicate their wealth, by the way, is that not the same today? You know, just got to communicate, show what we got. And so one of the, back in that day, the way they did it, because they didn't have cars, um, was they did it with clothing. We kind of relate to that. But in the clothing of the day, the best premier clothes of the day were made of wool. Moths love wool. And it was known at the day and at that time that if someone had any of their best clothes, it was of wool, or those that were really rich were of wool, and always knew that moth, moths were a problem with their clothing. So when Jesus is talking here, he's saying, listen, uh, where moths destroy, and then it says rust. It's an interesting word because the word actually means an eating. It's an eating up something. In some of your translations, they may have put the word worm or down below. They may put relating to worm. In other words, it's the idea of a worm eating up. The word rust for us just so fits well with the context of our life. Because can you not picture your car being like chewed up by rust? I remember when Karen and I were first married, we bought our incredible $200 car. And uh, we had a $200 car and sitting in the back seat for the very first time and we got it back to our little dinky apartment and sat in the back seat. And I, I always sit in the back seat because you can tell how good a car is by the back seat because they chintz on, I'm getting a different topic. But in it, we sit in the back seat and down there and I'm like, just kind of move my feet and boom, it goes through the floor. And I mean, what do you expect for 200 bucks? You know, so I went to work, cut some sheet metal, put it down there and we called it our friend Flintstone car. But rust eats up. We get that. We get what's going on. The idea here is, is that uh, in this, moths and rust eat stuff up. Uh, by the way, the other word it talks about is thieves. Listen, possessions are always subject to being stolen. And back in the day, how people would care for their most valuables was generally one of two ways. They would go out in a field that they owned. They would bury out a spot. They would put it in, cover it over. Or they would actually bury it in the wall of their house. They would dig out a section in the wall of their house, put it up, and then remud over it to, to keep it there. And so this, the idea with the thieves, because the next word, the word break in literally is meaning digging through, digging through. So you got this picture. Jesus is saying, listen, don't please, please just don't be people that are all about building up for yourselves treasures here on earth. Why? Because they last about that long. By the way, King Tut, when he died, they had put in his, in his tomb all these immaculate, wealthy tools and instruments and chariots and even statues of horses and people so that he could take with him into eternity. And may I remind us that you can go and see those today. He couldn't take them. I will also bring it in a modern day. When my dad died, all the stuff was left behind. All of it. And my dad was good at stuff. All of it's been left behind. Earth stuff or eternity stuff. 
And Jesus is saying, listen, folks, let's remind us, because the fact of the matter, whether we're here in prosperous America or whether we're, we're somewhere else, I'm telling you, other places of great poverty, they still, it's not about anti-things, it's about anti-idols. And whether you're in poverty or in great wealth, idols, idols, idols can be the thing of life. And that's earth stuff versus eternal stuff. So Jesus says here, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Lay up for yourselves uh, treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't stake in, uh, break in and, and steal. It's for eternity. Let's read verse 21. Here's the kicker. Here's where Christ is going. Hey, harvest. Hey, individual, hey, Doug, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, where my treasures are stacked shows what I'm all about. Where my treasures are stacked shows what I'm all about. Do you want to know what's going on in your heart? I don't know. I don't know where you're at. I don't know. Honestly, maybe you don't care. I hope you do. But I just want to let you know this. Jesus says that if you really want to know what's going on in your heart, I mean for real, like let's cut the talk, like let's cut the image, like let's cut the protecting ourselves, like let's just cut all the junk. And if we really want to know what my heart is about, if you really want to know what your heart is about, Jesus is saying here, you can know. I mean, you can know for real what's really going on in your heart. Let's cut the game, and this is a me and God thing. And we can really, really know what's going on in our heart. How do we know what's going on in our heart? Well, by looking at what we do with our treasures. Uh, in fact, let me break it this way in kind of three ways on a practical side here. Uh, how do I know what my heart is really all about? I would suggest that what we do is we pull out our schedules, we pull out our self, and we pull out our stuff and have some one-on-one -on -one before the Lord. And that's my challenge for you today. My challenge for you today is to go home today, this week, and start with number one, your schedule. I don't know if that's on your Blackberry, if that's on your iPhone, if that's on your calendar. And just before the Lord, God, what does my schedule tell me about what's in my heart? Now, see, what we usually go to is we go by the, the length of time. You see, I work eight hours or I work 10 hours. Therefore, that's bad. No, 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 no. Listen, all of life is about the worship. All of life is worship. 24-7 is worship. Listen, doing the dishes is a worship act. It can be. Absolutely. Right? It really can be. Hey, let me put it this way. Those of you who have a job uh, in this day and age... Uh, praise the Lord for that. But those of you who have a job, do you really see your job as an act of worship? Or is it just a job? Well, you see, I'm doing my job to provide for my family. Okay, and let me bring this in. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to be crass. But let me bring this into the reality. An atheist can do that as well. An atheist can do a job and provide for his or her family. So, now we're getting to the heart. Why are you working? What is your work really about? If you're a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad, and you're saying, well, I'm staying at home to, to raise my children. That's great, but I'm serious about this. Again, not trying to be crass. 
But how is you staying at home raising your children different than an atheist who hates God is staying home and raising their child? Now we're getting at the heart. What am I doing? Well, 30 minutes of VeggieTales. Okay, that's cool. I love VeggieTales, especially the slushies over the Jericho wall. I love, love that part. Okay, that's okay. But how are you at work, at home, at school, on the weekends, at time off? How is that the Lord's? Lay your schedule before the Lord. God, seriously, help me understand what's going on in here. Lay your schedule before the Lord. Secondly, I would encourage you just to lay yourself before the Lord. In other words, on this aspect, God, you've not only given me time in my schedule, but God, you've also given me talents. You've given me abilities. You've given stuff in myself to be able, that are unique and experiences and training and all kinds of, God, how is that being used? I just want to bring myself before you, Lord. I'm not talking about even my time. I'm just talking about me. How are the things that you've gifted me and, 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 and laid on me and worked in me, how are those being used for you? I mean, for real. I mean, for real, God. What's going on in my heart? And not only our schedule and not only ourselves, but I would encourage you to consider bringing your stuff before the Lord. Grab your bank statement, your credit card statement. Grab your wallet or your purse and just kind of physically, is it, God, what's this teaching about who I am? What's this teaching about who I'm about and what I'm about? God, what's going on here? I want to know my heart, and the reason I want to know my heart is because that's what you look at. And our heart has a direct connection to external stuff. It does. Hey, I want to take this moment and just, I'll call them some pastoral thank yous, just even as a church. I want to thank so many people for the time that they give. Listen, I realize that it's not all, you know, the worship of the Lord is not just all about here. It's 24-7. But just here as a church, I want to thank so many of their time. I thank you for serving in children's ministry, those who are on set up and tear down, uh, those who work on the ministry team and worship team, those who are working just in small groups and mentoring others. I just want to thank so many who give of themselves. I was telling the crew uh, before church first service started today and this week on this, I was just reflecting back and just wanting to see what God's doing here. And just on a practical, I'm a very practical kind of a guy. I was just looking at, looking through and, and just a praise out of this. This is, this is all about the Lord first, shown through his people. It's this. Last December, uh, we were averaging about 310. This December, we're averaging right around the 430, 435 area. It's about a 40% growth. Okay, that, that's incredible in and of itself. We've had a 40% growth this year. But here's the cooler thing, if there's such a word. The cooler thing is that there's 44% more people serving this December than last December. There's 60 more people than are on our schedule. And if you don't know about our serving schedule, I'm telling you, it's, it's unlike any place I've ever been to because we're really serious about serving around here. We think it's a DNA that needs to be a part of things. There's no 80-20 principle. There's 45% of our people, 45% of our average Sunday attendance is on our Sunday serving schedule in some fashion. 
And I'm not just talking about like, you know, I come in and turn the light switch on. I'm talking about people who give of their time and people who give of themselves. And I say, thank you. Praise the Lord for that. That's a DNA. That's a culture of giving that needs to be fostered and built and strengthened. I have, for ever since we started, my desire was to be able to have 50% of our average attendance serving on the Sunday schedule. I'm going to tell you, 45% blows 99% of all other churches out of the water. And it's just cool. And I thank you. Matthew 6, breathe. Matthew 6 is all about the heart. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? At this time of the year where treasures and things and time is just, it's right before us, isn't it? Jesus calls us here and asks us to consider where are we at? Where are we at? Where are you at? Are we making idols out of our house, our car, our stuff, our hobbies? Just trying to portray an image? I'll even bring these in. Are we making idols out of our IRAs? Hmm. What's the biblical perspective on saving? Can our move towards having debt reduction become an idol? That's a good thing. But it can also become an idol. Is, is a marriage actually an idol? Because I'll do what's wrong to get what I want. I want it so bad, I'll sin to get it. And that means if I sin against my spouse or I sin against the Lord, I want it. Is our kids an idol? Today, I'm just running some things by your thinking. Because we want to be people who are about the heart. And Jesus says here, am I about, is my heart about, heart about earth treasures? Is my heart all about earth treasures? Or is my heart about eternity treasures? For real. For real. God is not anti-things. God is anti-idols. question is, is, where are we laying up our treasures? Listen. Stack it up. Jesus says, pile it up. Jesus says, hoard it up, folks. Stack it, pile it, hoard it. It's just all about the right stuff. It's all about the right stuff. That's the only issue. Hoard it, stack it, pile it, go for it. And then one day, the question is, is when we come into the Lord's presence, what are we bringing to lay at his feet? What are we bringing to lay at his feet? Because the house 
and the car and the clothes and the stuff are going to be gone. But how is the house and the car and the clothes and the stuff building towards eternal things? Am I coming before the Lord with ends up when all gets boiled down, all gets eaten away, when it ends up standing before the Lord? And I'm like, here you go, God. You gave me the time, you gave me the abilities, you gave me the stuff, and Lord, I come to you, and I bring this little teeny tiny thing. Or is it the kind of thing where, this is where Jesus is saying, listen, hoard it up, stack it up, and when we see the Lord, we're running. We can't even see, it's like, uh, what's his face, a a Grinch, when he's coming down with that massive bag, you know, pile and stuff, and it's like, Jesus, look, look. I'm hoarding it up for you. And I lay it at your feet. And he's like, yeah, for eternity. Here we go, bud. Isn't that going to be fun? I'll tell you, it's hard, isn't it? It is hard. I'm not telling you about how much to give. I'm not here today to talk about how much time. That's not the point of today. The point of today is, is where's my heart? Let me do leave you with this, these three things, though. On the side of giving, three treasure giving principles. Number one, first fruit. The scriptures talk about first fruit giving. Listen, everything's as God's anyway. Everything is God's. And it's not mine. And yet there's a first fruit giving. There's the opportunity. Does my giving show that God is first? Listen, when we give financially, when we give with our time, when we give of our abilities and our experiences for the Lord's use, for the Lord's work, it's the kind of thing where in it all, it's a constant reminder that he's first, that it all comes from him, that he's the source. And so here's the question. Is your giving of time and of yourself and of your finances, is it, uh, is it last in line to the Lord? In other words, what I've got left over? Or is it the kind of thing where, God, you're first in line and then I'm going to arrange my life and my time and myself around what falls there? Is it the kind of thing even practically giving? You know what? I've paid my rent. I've paid home. I've paid this. I've eaten this kind of stuff. And I've got this left over. Lord, I'll give you some of that. Can I just say this? That is so not what the scriptures teach. The Bible says that you are and I are to be people that give of the first fruit. I would even argue, we'll see on this. You think about it. I would even argue he comes before Uncle Sam. By the way, if you don't know, in Christian circles, there's oftentimes a discussion. Should my giving come off of take-home or salary? I'm just going to tell you, I do not want to stand before God. And he's like, you know, I was trying to get just, just in there to get enough to get by. Can I just say, just gross it. It's God's anyway, and adjust life around him. First fruit. The second, sacrificial. Who talks on this stuff nowadays? Sacrificial. It's the kind of thing when you write a check or you give money or when you come to like having Bible study with your small group and you're like, crud, there's another night out of my week. Chickens. True? True? Or we write a check or we give some money for for the Lord's work and it's like, oh man, have you thought about what I could do with that? I'll add it up over the year. I have. I have being transparent with you. Goodness sakes, you want to know what? We could go to Tahoe rather than Bloomington for a vacation. (laughs) 
now, okay, now you see, you see where I'm at? You see my heart? It's true. Is it sacrificial? It should be. Does it hurt? It should. Serious. I'm not trying to pull your money. I'm not trying to pull things out. I want to prepare you to stand before the Lord and give a good response as a steward of his time and of his money and of his abilities given to you. First fruit, sacrificial, and third, cheerful. Every so often, we didn't today, but every so often here at Harvest, we do this. Hey, Harvest, it's time for offering. And? That's way better than the first service. And in this, it's the kind of thing to where the reason we do that, just, just a little reminder. It's not trying to make it goofy. Just a little reminder. Listen, God loves a cheerful giver. Rather than crud, ding, crud. Oh, ouch. There goes Tahoe. Oh kind of a thing. Hey, listen, God wants cheerful givers. I, can I say it this way? Macedonian type givers. Don't take away the chance for me to give, they were saying. We've got to do this. Yeah, we've got squat, but we're going to give what we can because this is an expression of who God is. And by the way, God, this is about my heart. See, the externals show the heart. We want to be people about the heart. Well, I'm going to leave it at that. The Lord is good. And the Lord has called his people to do a work that is so marvelous and magnificent that we cannot even fathom. And because of the goodness of what the Lord has done and the call that the Lord has laid upon us, May we be people that give of ourselves because it's out of that kind of a heart that we respond. By the way, one of the ways we're going to work, Pastor Nick and Eric and I decided this week in talking about this, one of the ways that we're going to try and foster a, a creative, cheerful, fun, unique way of just even financial giving this coming year is each time in this coming year when we have communion, we're going to have on that, on that Sunday, on that time when we do that, we're going to have an a opportunity just to give for something that's outside of us. It could be life centers, a crisis pregnancy center. It could be sheltering wings. It could be Samaritan's feet. It could be for someone in need. I don't know what it is, but we're going to do something, by the way, so when communion comes up down the road, and if it's the kind of thing, you got a couple bucks and you put it in there and we're able just to, woo, God, we get to do something cool, right? All right, let's pray. God, I want to thank you for the joy of the depth of the word of God. Lord, um, you have called us to a big call, and that's to love you and serve you and honor you with our lives. And Lord, the reality is we all struggle with it. We struggle with it, and you know that. We really are just bent towards stuff. We're bent towards the physical, and we have a hard time seeing beyond the here and now and the things of today and the things of earth. Lord, we just acknowledge that before you. We struggle with it because you know it anyway. Today, there's so many directions I could have gone. But our desire is that we're a church that is a culture of giving, a people that is a people that are givers because of the great giving 
of our God and Savior. Lord, I'm talking about our time, I'm talking about our talents, and I'm talking about our things. May we be that kind of people that just give out of joy, even in affliction, even in poverty, even in great blessing, even if in great wealth. It doesn't matter the condition. It's about the heart. Father, I pray for anyone here, if they're at a place where they just really need to make some changes, Lord, would you foster their faith along to step out? Because, Lord, uh, you've called us to be people that step out. Thank you for Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave. In your name we pray.